welcome to the Cell Culture Dish podcast, 3D cell culture bioreactor system for growing and maintaining spheroids and organoids with the structure and function of in vivo cells. I'm Brandi Sargent, editor of the Cell Culture Dish. Joining me today is Dr. Stephen Fay, chief research officer and co-founder of Cell Vivo. Dr. Fay has a background in biomedical science, having worked in research universities and companies for the past 40 years. He obtained his PhD at King's College, London University, and had the fun of teaching practical courses with Nobel laureate Maurice Wilkins. He became a pioneer in 2D gel electrophoresis and used it to study cervical cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular problems. Steve has 125 publications in peer-reviewed scientific journals and has filed 38 patents. He was the co-founder of the Center for Proteome Analysis in 1997 and became CEO when the Institute was spun out of the University of Southern Denmark in 2006. In 2011, he became T-cell group leader at the University of Southern Denmark, developing 3D and tissue culture systems to mimic in vivo physiology and toxicology. He was co-founder of CellVivo in 2014, a spin-out company commercializing the revolutionary Clinostar and Clinoreactor for 3D cell culture. I wanted to start today by asking if you could describe some of the advantages of using 3D culture over 2D culture. Sure, the most obvious one is that the data from 3D uh, can closely reflect what is happening in the living organism. And so that means it's relevant for very many fields in uh, biology, whether it's regenerative medicine, medicine, toxicology, cancer, uh, disease modeling, or whatever. So it's very, very important. Over here, we like to think that there's a spectrum of cellular behavior. Uh, at one extreme, you have 2D cell culture, and that's characterized by cells that behave as if they're in a wound healing situation, and they have a doubling time of one to three days. And at the other end of the of the spectrum, there are cells growing in 3D, where they'll grow very, very slowly with a doubling time of 40, 60, 80 days. But there, they express the advanced functions, and there they mimic tissues in vivo. I think that there are certain applications where it's really critical to use 3D culture systems. Could you uh, talk about those systems and why is it critical? Sure. Uh, The short answer is everywhere. Uh, But there may still be some situations where you could continue with 2D. The important thing, I think, is to use your in vivo performance as your benchmark so that you knew, you know the system, whether it's 2D or 3D, is producing data that is relevant for your work. Uh, so where it's particularly important would be finding out how tissues work, how stem cells divide and then migrate through a tissue, replacing the differentiated cells that are dying and, and being lost. Uh, one good example of that is the lining of the intestine. You can also look at how cells within a tissue interact with each other. There, an example would be, for example, that alcohol kills liver cells. And if too many liver cells die, you get problems. The fibroblasts then will take over in their attempt to repair the tissue. And of course, the the simplest and most obvious is of testing candidate drugs. You obviously want to know 
that the result you're getting in vitro is a true representation both for, for toxicity and for efficacy uh, when you give that drug to a patient. You know, I think that it really is applicable to all areas. And I think that it is generally accepted that 3D culture is preferable to 2D, especially in the applications that you mentioned, but across the board, really. But many have difficulty culturing in 3D systems. So with that in mind, could you please talk about some of the current challenges with 3D culture? Sure. I mean, I see there are basically three main areas, three main challenges, to use your word. The first thing is that primary cells and stem cells, uh, your donor is probably different every time. So that means the cells you're working with will be different. Stem cells, also, you need to get full differentiation. I'd like to give an example that we used when we first started working with 3D. Unfortunately, that was more than 10 years ago now. We started working with immortal cells, and we decided we would switch over to, to primary cells or stem cells when we couldn't reproduce the in vivo performance that we wanted to see. What we discovered was that in the large majority of cases, or the, mo- the functions we tested, cell lines could actually perform just as well, and even sometimes better, than stem cells or primary cells. So there is actually, I think, a largely unexplored potential of using cell lines in 3D. It's certainly an easier place to start. And then you can migrate on to the more complicated cell types when you have a grip on the system. The important advantage, of course, of cell types is that they're very reproducible from year to year to year. What you have to remember with cell lines is they will often need two or three weeks before they reach what we call a metabolic equilibrium and then mimic tissue. This is simply the recovery process after the trips in damage uh, for culturing them in 2D. So you just have to be patient and give yourselves a chance to settle down to reach this metabolic equilibrium. Once they get there, then you have a lot of advantages because they're stable for a year or more. And when you treat them, it's like a pendulum. They respond, and then they swing back and recover. And that means you can do repeated drug dose testing. But of course, you're talking about long-term studies, and so you have to be careful and avoid infections. The second challenge, I think, which is yet to be fully realized, is that in 3D, size does matter. In our experience, clusters of cells, whether it's spheroids or organoids, need to reach a certain size before they function like tissue. And I presume it's oxygen and nutrient gradients within the cluster of cells that is important. So the clusters need to be bigger than three to 400 microns in diameter. That brings its own little problems because then you can't use a microscope or some of these plate reading assays. And you actually have to work as if you're working with biopsies. Those procedures exist. And it's not a surprise, it's just a small change in your procedures. The third main challenge is reproducibility and quantitation. Uh, And here it's much easier with cell lines, because if you start your cell clusters with the same number of cells, they will remain more or less the same size. We routinely can, after 21 days in culture, get spheroids that are reproducible 
so there's a standard deviation of only about 22%. And that means that because the steroids are the same size, then they'll respond in the same way to drug treatment or whatever you do to them. It also makes it easier because then you can produce a lookup table so that just by taking a photograph of the spheroid, you can then calculate how much DNA is present there or how much protein is there or how many cells are there. And that means you can then normalize your studies to, let's say, the amount of protein present, the same amount of biomass, and that gives you very accurate correlations. So under certain conditions, you can really improve reproducibility and quantitation greatly. Just to take the opposite of your question, one thing that I don't think is a challenge is actually working with mixtures of cells. As I say, the cells in 3D grow very much slower, and in doing so, they seem to work very much better together. So that's an encouraging aspect of 3D. Another aspect that makes it, can make 3D cell culture easier are new developments in tools and technologies. Uh, to that point, I know that CellVivo has developed a 3D bioreactor system to address many of the challenges that we just talked about. Can you tell us how that system was developed? Certainly, yeah. That was a lot of fun. We were doing some research together with some very good colleagues down in South Africa on diabetes. And one of the main reasons was that we were collecting biopsies. And the problem was that when you put a biopsy in culture, it uh, falls apart. And you could say, technically, this is the melting ice cream effect. But we wanted to keep the biopsies as biopsies. We'd been using a commercially available system which simulated microgravity, but that system was rather difficult to use. And you actually had to cut the bioreactor open to get your pieces of tissue out. So we decided to design our own equipment which was easier. And the short and the long is that it worked so well that our collaborators wanted a copy of this equipment. And so little by little, we actually started producing the equipment. Andre, the father of one of my very good collaborators, Christoph Brzezinski, he got roped in and he converted his attic and basement into workshops to build the machines that we were sending around, around all of the world. Uh, then we got in contact with some very, very good and very friendly investors. And at that stage, everything became very much more professional without losing the fun. And really, now we have a great team working with us, uh, for filling in a lot of the gaps that us as ordinary scientists could never fill. We're working now with a number of really professional companies in all sorts of things like engineering and molding plastics, developing software and interfaces. And it's, it's just wonderful to see what they're doing uh, as experts in their own fields. And of course, from my own point of view, I was very happy to be able to pass on the bookkeeping to somebody who actually knew what they were doing. I hear that quite a bit with scientists who really, once they bring in additional folks into the mix, are, are happy to give over the business uh, aspects of the um, of the work to others so that they can focus on the science and keep it fun, as, as you said. Could you describe how the Kleinostar addresses the most pressing issues in 3D culture? Sure. We, we thought about it a great deal. Uh, and so it was, it's been a product that has slowly grown in our minds and hands over a number of years. The most pressing issues when you're developing a big piece of equipment is that it has to be easy to use. And 
for 3D cell culture, that the cultures need to be kept for extended periods of time. So in this case, two to three weeks before you can start your experiments, and then up to a year uh, while the spheroids or organoids are growing. So you have to design something that is very easy to keep clean. So the Kleinostar actually has a camera. So you can actually look at your cultures without even taking them out. You so you're not disturbing the cultures as they grow, uh, and then you're not exposing them to the risk of infections. We've made it very easy to change the growth media, and it usually only takes about 20 seconds to change the media in one bioreactor, and that bioreactor can contain 300 identical spheroids. We made it easy to open the cell culture chamber and allow you to take out one or two spheroids and then close it again and let the culture grow on. So it's, it's a bit like taking a biopsy. The host lives on, and you can actually follow the response to an experiment you're running. So the Kleinostar solves issues of reproducibility and yield. The spheroids and organoids are metabolically stable and active for months. Our Kleinostar also solves a number of other problems because you don't need to add exogenous or synthetic extracellular matrix. The cells will make them make it themselves. You don't need to add cytokines or other growth factors. The cells are doing what they want to do. Uh, and that, I think, is a very important thing. So the cells are actually free of external influences and free of external variations. And this actually results in a very good batch-to-batch variation. So a very small batch-to-batch variation. And for listeners who may not be familiar with the technology, could you talk a little bit about Clinostat technology? Sure. Basically, the cells are prevented from settling on the culture vessel surfaces by constantly rotating the vessel. So this simulates microgravity. Because they can't settle, then they form little clusters, whether it's organoids or spheroids. And because the vessel is rotated quite slowly, then they're not exposed to very much stress. If they're of equal size, then you can get to a point where they are almost in, it's like a stationary orbit, and they're almost stress-free. So that is very good for not influencing the cells. And of course, uh, you don't need to use a different media, and you don't need scaffolds or matrial or growth factors you can just continue to use your standard media and standard conditions. So that makes it a lot easier for people to migrate over to one system like ours. We've actually just published a whole set of protocols. It was about 20 different standard operating procedures to help anybody get started in working with this sort of technology. Could you talk a little bit about the components of the product itself um, and how it fit into a standard lab? The system we've developed has three parts. There's the Kleinostar itself, which is six different Kleinostats, which, which is a Kleinostat is a little electric motor that turns a wheel. Uh, and these are all wrapped up in a CO2 incubator. Then we have a tablet to run the software that we've developed, which regulates the speeds of these Kleinostats and the temperature and CO2. And then we have the uh, bioreactors, which are basically like a petri dish on edge, 
So it's a round disposable cell culture flask, which we call Kleiner reactor. These Kleiner reactors are special in that they have their own humidification system. And that means that the incubator, the Kleiner star itself, can be run without additional humidity. Doing that has a major advantage because then you can reduce the risk of infection, which, as I mentioned just a little bit before, uh, is one of the major things you have to be careful with in this type of 3D cell culture. We've also built in a UVC lamp so you can decontaminate your cultures before experiments very easily. One of the things that we often hear from listeners is questions about the workflow and implementation. I'm hoping that you could walk listeners through an organoid workflow using the Kleinostar. If you're starting with organoids, so basically very small pieces of tissues, what you're doing is you have a biopsy. You need to disperse them, the cells into very small pieces or individual cells. Uh, and then you can simply put them into the Kleinostar and start rotation. Over time, they'll aggregate into small organoids or spheroids, which you can work on. It's the same sort of procedures you would use with a cell line. There you're growing the cells in the, in the classical 2D way. You'll treat them with trypsin to, to suspend them. And then you can, again, put these cells directly into the Kleinostar, or you can form small clumps in an embryoid body plate and then put them into the Kleiner reactor and rotate it. In both cases, you then would need to change the media every two or three days. And then with time, they will recover their functionality. Organoids will probably recover functionality faster, uh, whereas the cell lines are probably slower. But again, use the in vivo functionality as your benchmark. I like how it is easy to implement and uh, the workflow is very straightforward. There's a lot of real positives about this system, but I'm hoping that you can talk a little bit about where you think that your product has the most impact today. That is a, a very broad question. I think the most exciting thing is to see the product we've developed being used for so many very different applications. So some of our friends, colleagues initially, then they become friends, are using it for drug discovery. Some are using it for testing medicinal plant extracts to find out uh, new medicines. Some are using it for epigenetics. One of the things of 3D cell culture is that the cells actually recover all their epigenetic marking of the histones and the DNA. Uh, and that also makes it important for cancer research or for diabetes research, where we first started. Others are using it to study bone growth and even tissue aging. So it's difficult to say where it's having the most impact because it's such a broad palette of applications in very many different experimental situations. Uh, and I think each situation is producing very valuable data for medical research. Thank you so much. I think 3D cell culture has so many applications and it's really important to be able to have tools and technologies in place to simplify the culture and make it uh, more consistent and relevant for the different applications where it, it really makes a lot of sense to use 3D. 
I'm wondering, is there anything else that you'd like to add for listeners today? Uh, <laughs> I must admit, I would love to add a lot of things, but I can't really tell you what we're actually working on now. I can only sort of give an outline. We're planning to make the products that we're putting on the market even easier to use. We're going to make them more automatic. We're going to make it sure that you can collect a lot more data directly from the cultures. And a lot of these things can actually done be done simply from the software point of view. And so that means that even if people buy our systems now, they can upgrade them as we get the software in place. But uh, maybe if, to give better details, we'll have to talk about this later on, maybe next year, if you're interested to hear from us again. Yes, that would be great. I really like the idea that you'll um, be able to implement new programs and new uh, opportunities with existing uh, uh, product. And so I think that's great. And we'll definitely touch base with you uh, next year, as well as um, in the show notes, I'll put links so that listeners can go ahead and go and check out the product in more detail on your site and also uh, be able to check in as well for, for updates. Thank you so much. This has been really interesting. I really appreciate your time today. And thank you for uh, talking to us about 3D culture and specifically about the Clinostar and the solutions that you've created uh, for, the, for the challenges of 3D culture. Randy, if I could add one more thing on our website, there's many different publications so people can go in and look in, in detail and see what we've been talking about. That's perfect. We'll make sure that we include that information uh, in the show notes so that it's easily accessible for listeners. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Cell Culture Dish podcast. To listen to other podcasts related to the discovery, development, and manufacture of biologics, please visit us at www.cellculturedish.com. And for downstream process topics, www.downstreamcolumn.com.